0: If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, and your journals and uh, everything else you're going to need, please take them out. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, and uh, we've just got one verse to look at there, and yes, Uh, just on stage, thank you, thank you guys. Wonderful. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We unpacked last week these two words, no condemnation. We said that if there is no condemnation for somebody who is in Christ Jesus, then there has to be an opposite to that, that you actually feel condemned in some way and you are, according to God, condemned in some way outside of Jesus Christ. And we talked about there being good news. The gospel is the good news to salvation. And so therefore, if there is good news, then it speaks into some bad news. So we really camped out last week on on the creation, and on fall, and on sin. And it Kind of got thick and heavy for a little while there. And, uh, because it says in the scripture that God actually created all that he had made and it was very good. So at the beginning of time, when God created this world, it was very good. We know it was very good because deep inside every human being, there is a sense that it should be better. That there's world, the world is broken and many times our lives are broken. And so we know they're broken because we have a sense of something better. And the, ve- and the sense that we have of better is this scripture here, that it is very good. That's how things should be. And so what we do is we try and get back to very good by working hard on ourselves, on our relationships, on our possessions, on our work, on our families, or even by devoting ourselves to a religion trying to work hard on something, only finding that all we do is improve a broken version of ourselves. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There's nothing that we can do to redeem ourselves. And so part of our vision as Willow Park Church is this real life. And we're camping out on R uh, for that last week and this week. And R stands for redeemed, that Christ came to the world to redeem His people, to redeem those who believe in Him, so that they may get back to being very good, because the world is broken. This week, what we're going to do is we're going to carry on looking at this idea of redemption and and redeemed, but we're going to look at what the journey looks like to actually get saved, to experience this redemption, to experience no condemnation. Because if we look at our lives and we look at ourselves, then we know that we have a problem. And we do try very, very hard to work on the problem. But in many ways, all we're doing, all we're succeeding in doing is just kind of, uh, uh, of hiding the problem for a little while, only to find that the issues re-emerge the things that we struggle with, the sins that we are challenged with, the habits, our thoughts, our words, our actions that we know are not in alignment with very good, we're constantly trying to improve ourselves only to find out that it doesn't work. So what we're going to do today is we're going to start on a journey. And we're going to start with the destination because every good journey begins with thinking about where we're going to end up. So my first point is we're going to look at what it is. What is redemption? The essence of the gospel? What is it that Christianity is all about? What is it that we're here for? So we're, we're going to work through that for a little while and then we're going to move into what that process looks like. So I hope you're ready to go because we're going to, we're going to get into some, uh, some, uh, some deeper theology this morning and I'll try very hard to make it as practical and as applicable to everybody as I possibly can. One or two of you have asked me, what do I, what do I recommend you read while we go through this series? Well, first of all, extra kudos points for you, that you want to do extra studying. Um, but And I won't name it by names. But there's a couple of things that I want to recommend to you. The first one is these study notes that you can actually get at the Connect desk. And if you sign our Connect uh, card, then this should have been emailed to you this week, Okay, in the, in the, in the email that I sent you this week. So these are full of questions and extra study notes, and so I recommend them. And one of the resources that I've used a lot in my preparation in these notes is this book. Uh, It was not written by me, and I am not gaining anything from uh, recommending it to you. I'm not an affiliate marketer or anything like this, but it's called Bible Doctrine by Wayne Grudem. This is the book that I give to my apprentices or interns, Say read this and let's talk. And then they have several sleepless nights, because there's some stuff in here that kind of go, wow, I've, I've never even thought about that before. Everything from the origin of evil to... Christ. It's an excellent book. So Sarah can help you figure out where to get that from cheap because she, she just orders them regularly. I, I, should become, I should get some kind of royalty, I think, from Mr. Grudem. That's, uh, that's, a, that's a very, very good book. So let's start our first point. And I want to call this point the beautiful exchange. The beautiful exchange. Number one, the beautiful exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So a big question that people would ask about Christianity is, why why is it that we need Jesus to die for our sins? Why is it that Jesus' death equals redemption and the very good? How, How is that connected? Well, first of all, what we need to understand is that sin actually causes a disconnect With God. God, as we heard last week, is perfectly holy and can have nothing to do with sin. And I said last week, we have no problem with God being loving and joyful and, and just happy and, and we love the God of love. And that often means that he's not going to judge anything because after all, if you love, then it means that there is no judgment. Have I spelled that right? There's no judgment. Love equals no judgment. That's what people like to think about when it comes to God. The challenge is, is that God doesn't, the Bible doesn't just talk about God being a God of love. It says that God is holy. And therefore, if we have a perfectly holy God and a perfectly loving God, then you can't have one without the other. So therefore, if we have sin in our lives, God can have no connection with sin and this sin creates a disjoint, a separation. And this sin must result in judgment. Otherwise, God would cease to be holy. God would cease to be just. And He can't do that because He's a perfect God. So... What we try and do is we try and deal with this sin by working hard on ourselves. And what we're trying to do is bring God and man together with our good works. It doesn't work. I've used this illustration before a couple of years ago, but it, it fits really well. And, and, uh, and it's quite funny because this has come up quite often in my sermons where I talk about, um, talk about weeds and grass and stuff. And I know, that, I know that you must think I'm quite obsessed with my lawn, but if you actually come to my house, you'll see very quickly, no, he's not. Because anybody who's obsessed and the lawn looks that bad, then uh, they need to kind of work on their obsession a little bit. But, but one thing that we experienced a lot of, and, and John Kosorso and I had a long conversation about this a few years ago, was dandelions and weeds. How do you get rid of these things? Now we, Amen. It's the loudest kind of amen I've had all morning. It's great. How do you get rid of these? So what I would do is I would mow the lawn, and I would get the weed whacker out, and I would just make all the weeds disappear. Perfect. It's just green-ish. Apart from when you get in the middle of August it's kind of brown and crusty, but no weeds. So, you know, there's a choice there, I suppose. But the thing I noticed was is that I mow the lawn and the weeds disappear. But what actually happens is the weeds just get cut down, but they're still there. Ready to reemerge thicker and stronger and each time. And eventually, you just let the grass go. What you end up is just a big mass of weeds and dandelions. And you can cut that thing, but it ain't going to get rid of the weeds. That's a great picture of our life. Because what we do is these, these things that we struggle with, whether it be anger or issues of our mind or things that we say or frustration or, or uh, insecurity or inferiority, these are the weeds that come up. This is the brokenness that we experience. They, they emerge out of our lives. And what we do is we, we work hard on it. We cut it down. But without ever dealing with the issue that is underlying it all. Because it just keeps on coming up. So let's, take, let's just take one thing, for example. And I prayed and I asked the Lord, what is it that you want me to, to talk about by way of illustration in this section? And remember, we're talking about why do we need Jesus to die? Let's just talk about one sin, anger. That if you struggle with anger or frustration, then you could work hard on that anger. You can work hard on that frustration. You can resist. You may buy a book. It might help you. You might watch a video. You, you might go and do some counseling. And you're working hard on that anger. And in many ways, what you're doing is you're just weed whacking it down. Because it will emerge again. Because you're not dealing with the issue. So what is it that causes anger? What is the root issue of anger. Why do you get angry? And, and, and psychologists and, and theologians actually agree on this, that anger is actually a product of something that we love very much being endangered. Something we love very much being challenged. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Because if you as parents, if your children are in danger, that might create some anger in you and there's no problem with that. That's understandable. Whereas if you get angry... Because your reputation is in danger, or your control is in danger, or your lie that you 've been telling for years is in danger, or your security in your role as a dad or as a mum or as a husband or business owner or wife, or whatever that that role is being challenged in some way, and anger. Sprouts up and emerges that you are identifying something in your life that is in danger, and therefore you want to protect it. And anger comes up. Something close to you is in danger. Anger is most rooted in us loving ourselves or what we have too much. In fact, Augustine called it "it's in inordinate affections." That we love something too much, and if that something is gets challenged, we get angry and we react. And the reality is, is that the root of it is, remember last week, we've made ourselves kings. We've made ourselves too important. We've made ourselves the center. We've replaced God in our lives, who should be our ultimate affection. We've placed ourselves as ultimate affection, and my feelings, and my thoughts, and my world, and and what's right for me, and well, they really upset me, so I'm not going to talk to them anymore. Really grow up, first of all. And secondly, what's the root of that? What's the root of that? What is it that God is pinpointing in your life saying, here's the issue, here's the issue, it's just going to keep sprouting out. And you can replace anger with anything you want. You can put it as lust or, or greed or materialism or gossiping or insecurity. There's a root issue and oftentimes the root issue of our sin, the root issue is the sin of placing ourselves as center. we don't find freedom by just weed whacking and working hard. We find true freedom as this lady, this lovely lady in the Alpha video expresses in Jesus. By the way, 50 people apparently have signed up to go to Alpha tomorrow night. Isn't that wonderful? That's just our church. That's not including all the other churches in the city. Just Willow Park Church. 50 people. You see, as a Christian, I would say that you are going to get freedom from sin in Jesus Christ. Because look at what the scripture says, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him, have we got that uh, scripture? He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is why this this uh, section of the sermon is called the great exchange. It's because our sin, the struggle, the issue, the thing that causes all, the, every else in our life gets placed on jesus christ he made him to be sin who knew no sin no we were good there you go Uh, so that in him we might become the righteousness of god by the way i should say if you have any questions you can text 393939 code word south and put a question and we're going to look at that later but you need the keyword otherwise it just goes into the universe and nobody ever sees your wonderful question But 393939, south, and then your question. So our sin has been placed upon Jesus Christ. He has traded places with me. He said, look, let's stop working at the sin. I'll kill it. It'll die with me. Because one thing I learned about my grass is the only way to really get rid of the weeds is by actually making the grass so healthy that it has no room to grow that my life is so thick, if you like. My wife would agree. He is a bit thick. But my life is so thick with God and Christ because He has taken that sin away, It's died on the cross with Him, that my life becomes healthy in Christ, that this sin does not emerge because there's just no room for it. Because my affection is placed firmly upon Him. Not on me. And So Christ took my sin and it died with him. He became my sin, the scripture says. In Galatians it says, he became a curse. And then it goes on, so that I might gain his righteousness. And that is what uh, St. Athanasius said was the great exchange. My sin, his righteousness. My sin, my shame, my struggle, my brokenness. Everything I'm trying to fix, trying to... Get back to what I know is better. All that gets placed on Jesus Christ as I believe in him. And I get, in return, righteousness. Theologians called it gift righteousness. It's a gift. It's not something you work for. It's something you receive. It's something you accept. It's something you submit to. It's something you respond to. It's a beautiful gift, The great exchange. And Jesus says, I'm going to get rid of this. You become a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Let's start growing together. Gift righteousness. See, now when God looks at me, when He judges me, when He judges me, and by the way, we will all get judged see, we have this idea in our, in, our, in our human minds that we actually, if we take, if we quieten ourselves and get honest with ourselves, we actually rail against because we know it's not right. But we have this idea that everything that we do wrong is somehow, if you believe in God, He's just going to overlook and go, oh, oh, yeah, you're fine. Come on in. Because you, you, gave, you gave some money away and you're a nice person. And oh, that's fine. You see, God would cease to be holy if he did that, there will be a judgment. But Jesus Christ on the cross takes my judgment, makes me new, and so when God looks at me, what he sees is his son on the cross. He sees Jesus when he looks at me. And this is the great news that I can live life not trying to make my week so great that God would accept me, but when God looks at me, He sees what His Son Jesus did on the cross, and He says, set free, redeemed, innocent. No judgment. He's one of mine. Next week, we're going to unpack what that actually means. The benefit of being a Christian. But this week, I want you to know that when you believe in Jesus Christ, your sin and shame get placed upon him. It dies with him and we get this gift righteousness. And I want you to notice something really, really important about what I said. It's a gift. It's a gift. It begins with God, not with you. Because if Your salvation begins with you. In some way, it comes back to your decision or your works. Therefore, doing away with grace. Let's unpack this. Because this is really important. But it's also very challenging for us. Because what it does is it messes with our idea of who is center. And if we truly believe that we are center in the universe, then we struggle with this theology. But if we can just think of God being the ultimate and God being center and come to what I'm about to share with an open heart and an open mind, you'll see that this theology that I'm about to, this doctrine I'm going to share with you is actually incredibly liberating because what it does is it highlights grace. It highlights grace and does away with works. My second point is grace before time. This journey that we're on towards redemption starts before time begins. Let me show you. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Love it. Beautiful. Let's carry on. gets more troubling. Even as He chose us... In him, when? Before the foundation of the world. Let's just stop there for a second. Here's what this scripture is saying, and you can read it. It says, before God even created the world, Adam and Eve, and the tree of good and evil, he'd already decided that our salvation was going to be in Jesus Christ. He'd already knew that the cross was going to happen. He already knew that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And then it carries on. He, oh, there's that word. Everybody wakes up and leans in. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Let's back up one one slide backwards. See, before him in love, in love. He predestined us. In love, He chose us. In love, He decided before the foundation of the world who would be His. In love. Oh, we struggle with this. We struggle with this beautiful idea that His gift to us is that before the foundation of the world, in love, He chose you. He looked at you and went, yes, they're mine can i say this is why this theology needs to be preached more is because we live in a world of the unchosen don't we people constantly rejected children rejected in the womb young people growing up with dads and mums just leaving unchosen uncaring unloving and maybe that's your experience Maybe you've come from a family where you were rejected. You weren't chosen. Nobody even cared. But God says, I, I, I chose you. I chose you. See, this is really important because if you dwell on this, if you think this through, what it will actually do is it will highlight God's grace because it's all about Him. You see, if it starts with us and our choice, and our, and our initiation, which I'm going to prove to you in a minute is impossible, then it actually becomes about works because it starts and roots in us. But if it starts in God and it's His gift, then it's grace We saw last week that mankind is actually incapable of choosing God because our decisions always follow our heart condition. So if our heart condition is broken, we're not going to choose God. And the scripture says this in Romans 3 verse 10. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Paul is talking about the state of the world before we believe in Jesus. You can't just decide in Jesus because it says in another scripture, you're dead. God chose us. Salvation begins with God. Friends, grab hold of this doctrine. Don't, don't reject it because you don't like the idea of God choosing See, there is great mystery surrounding this doctrine. But what we must always be careful of, and I, and I say this to you in the most loving way that I can, do not approach the Word with your own assumptions and experience being the lens through which you read it. Don't approach the Word and go, well, I'm reading this, I don't understand, it doesn't seem fair, therefore it can't be true approach the word with a heart that says God is so much higher than I am. He he exists on a realm that I cannot even fathom. So therefore, if he is a loving and merciful and good God, whatever this scripture says about him needs to be looked at through that lens. Therefore, just because I don't understand it doesn't make it not true. And this doctrine perhaps of all doctrines falls in that because there is much to it that is a mystery. But one thing I know, because the Scripture says it over and over and over and over again, He chooses you. John 15, verse 19, I chose you out of the world. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, You are a chosen race. John 15, 16, Listen, you did not choose me. I chose you. (laughs) So take it up with Jesus. Does this create challenge for me? Yes. And here's why. I have people, I have children who do not know Jesus. Does that mean that God is choosing them to not believe in Him? You think I sleep well on that? I don't. I don't sleep well on that. But what I do sleep well on is knowing that God is in control. That is not down to me or my ability to live life well in front of them. It's not down to me and what I say to them. It's not down to me and whether or not I brought them up well. It's not down to me or whether or not I can somehow make Jesus look so great that they're going to fall in love with Him. It's not down to me and my decision because it's not down to them or, or, or what they do. It's all about grace because He starts faith. bible declares it it shouts it it resonates with it let me show you how i know this to be true christians think back to that moment when you and we use this language and it's actually not in the bible when we made a decision to follow jesus Just think back to that moment when it's like, I became a Christian. What started that thought in you? Many of you, like me, would be able to track back maybe years and go, it was a process and a journey. So process and journey all the way back. What started it? Let's say here is when you become a Christian. What was it here that suddenly made you decide to go on the journey in the first place? Did you wake up one morning and go, you know what? I think I'll start a journey today. I think I'll start thinking about God. I think today, I'm making a decision. Today, I am going to start considering faith and spirituality. It's in my calendar. I'm going to do it. Decided last week, let's start this thing. You didn't, did you? Just one day, suddenly, something happened inside of you that made you go, I don't even know how to spell Jesus. Jesus. I can barely spell God, but I know there's something missing in my life. I will that. And by the way, to encourage you Christians, to encourage me, you don't know where somebody is on that journey. They could be here. They could be here. All we have to do is be faithful because it's all up to God. Romans 1, 16, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Not me, Glenn, as a good preacher or a good dad or a good brother. Or a good son or a good nephew who started this process look at this scripture Revelation 3 we love this scripture Revelation 3 verse 20 it says this behold I stand at the door and knock who is it that stands Jesus if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and eat with him and he with me Jesus is knocking his initiation his choice I choose you the person inside the house is not leaning out the window and pressing the doorbell themselves. Not, 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 oh, now I'll open the door. It's Jesus that starts it. It's a beautiful doctrine because it's you who he chooses. Well, you sound awfully a lot like a Calvinist, Glenn. And there's one thing I know, Calvinists are bad. I don't know why, but they are. So you're a Calvinist. So let me let me just... <laughs> it's true, people actually use that word like it's something like... I, like, bad. Calvinism and Armenians, or Calvinists and Armenians, are opposite of what people think. Calvinists believe that God chooses and that's it. Armenians believe that you have a choice. It's your decision. That's what people would say... Calvinists and Armenians believe. Calvinists bad. Armenian's good because choice, decision, I'm in control, like it. Calvinist, bad, no choice, no decision. I'm not in control. Don't like it. So let me just let me just help you. Please just know this. Calvinists and Armenians agree on this point. God initiates faith. They agree. Read it. Buy this book. You can read what both Say, they agree that God initiates faith because there's nothing inside of us that would want to run after God. Where they disagree, Calvinists believe you can't resist it. Armenians believe you can. Does that make sense? Armenians believe you hear the call of God, but you go, nope, and then you're going to carry on. Calvinists believe you hear the call of God and that's it. Job done. You're going to be a Christian. That's a whole other sermon. The whole of a sermon, or maybe a question later, I don't know. God initiates faith. Why am I emphasizing this, friends? Like you might be going, who cares? Does it matter? I'm emphasizing it because it's all about grace. Not works. Because if there's any decision or any choice or anything that i've initiated faith in me it becomes works whereas it's all grace when it's all about god let me just finish this point by way of illustration i've had a a, a leaky bath it's been coming through the kitchen ceiling which i think is fairly problematic and it's causing a stain some of you coming around this afternoon for our first community group and you'll be able to look at it and go oh yeah he's right and if you glance over to your right, you'll see another one right over there from another bath. We've got some problems, we're figuring it out. But I call the plumber. Right? It's my initiation to get this issue fixed. The plumber doesn't one day just kinda go, I hear you've got a leak. Well, how did you know? You see and and, and we are the plumber. We're really like, I have a problem. And God will go, well, how did you know? Because God's saying, look, I'm the one that initiated this call. You have a problem. You have leaks. You have issues. And if you want to really stretch the analogy, and it's getting a bit weak now, is you could say, "Well, well, Jesus is the one that comes and fixes the thing. Not you. But it's God who makes that initial call. So let me finish it off by pulling this together. And please throw a question in because i can promise you that no matter what i say later it still won't satisfy you because there's such a mystery because here's here's the challenge i have as a pastor and as a preacher and as somebody who loves and studies theology all the time is i remember this point i remember becoming a christian and i remember in that moment i had an experience like the prodigal son where it says he came to his senses I remember that. I remember I was sat on the side of a hillside overlooking the town. I was about 17, 18 years old and I was looking over and I was like, Lord, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray you'd forgive me. I pray and confess that I've just been trying to do this myself. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. There's tears. And you could say, I decided. The Calvinists would say, did I have a choice? The Armenians would say, I had no, uh, sorry, no. Armenians would say, I had a choice. Calvinists said, I would have no choice. It was going to happen. Regardless of where you land, I remembered it was God that initiated that faith. Does that make sense? Not really, okay. (laughs) Number three, Romans 6, 5, verse 6 to 8, and I'm going to finish with this. For while we were still weak, At the right time, I nearly drew on the screen then. (laughs) That would have been bad, wouldn't it? At the right time, Christ died. The teachers in the room are going, well, you could. You could get an interactive whiteboard. That's what the teachers are thinking, right? Jen, were you there? Yeah. (laughs) For while we were still sinners, so while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Not the people who had already figured things out. The ungodly. Can we carry on? But one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Then verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that while I am still struggling with these works, while I'm still struggling with the sin, Jesus died for me in the most powerful two words in this scripture. And, I, and I, I'm going to get excited, I warn you. Verse 8. The most powerful two words, but God, but God, but God shows his love for us. Not but Glenn sorted out his life, not but Glenn figured out how to get rid of the weeds, but Glenn kind of sacrificed or worked hard so this God would love him more. No, but God at the right time flooded, slammed into my soul and changed my life forever and ever and ever and ever and ever but God at the right time. God's timing is perfect. Christians who are struggling with this, maybe you have a loved one who you just don't know when. Lord, when are they going to come to know you? Let me encourage you. But God is in control at this time. He is the one who initiates. He is the one that brings faith. He is the one that starts this flood of love in somebody's life. The beauty of the gospel is the but gods in people's lives. Because you and I can think of a time when we felt broken, we felt lost, we felt alone or whatever it might be that you were just like, I'm not, Lord, help me. But God in His love died for me. And I'm rubbish. I might polish up well. Some of you polish up better. But inside, you know, if it wasn't for the butt guard, you know that you would be sensing brokenness and distance and separation and death. And some of you are on this side of the butt guard, you're on here somewhere. The fact that you're in church, I'm choosing to believe that it means you are on this journey. The fact that you hear my voice and maybe some of you are maybe just responding in some way shows me. But I believe it's the spirit of God because it's but God. Have you had your but God moment? Christian friends, when was the last time you were reminded of the full ferocity and power and joy and impact of the gospel? That we took our eyes off the weeds for a second and put it back onto the cross, and you got overwhelmed with a sense of God's love and chosenness for you. See, in Revelation 3, where the same scripture where it says, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus actually says, You've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten your but God moment. You've forgotten what it means to be a Christian. For those of you not yet experienced, but God, maybe you've just come to church. Maybe you've gone to a community group. Maybe you've read the Bible. Maybe you've gone to camp and thrown a stick in the fire or whatever it might be. Maybe you had some emotional, spiritual experience. And that's wonderful. And it might be it's one of these. But has it come to the place where you, like that person in the stand at the door and knock, that you've heard his voice? Notice, please. Remember the scripture says, I stand at the door and knock? And anyone who hears my what? Voice, not knock. And who is it that hear his voice? His sheep were told. You see the voice may be speaking to you right now. What do you do with that? Oh, maybe next week. maybe maybe, maybe next year. God wants to radically change your life, new life, complete change, no condemnation. You see, God's perfect justice and God's perfect love collide at the cross. And as people we can come that even if you are even thinking and considering it i believe that you're but God that you come and you present yourself to the cross and whether you want to call it a decision a choice a submission a surrender i don't care it's all semantics what i'm looking at is people who will come like me when i was 17 and 18 and confess and say lord whether you believe you can resist it or not i don't care have you come and you said, Lord, I am sorry. Father, forgive me. Lord, I want you to be king of my life. Christians, if you are allowing other things and other stuff and people or, or gossip or stuff that's happened to you in the past and people have said this and people have done that and this happened to me. If you're, if you're allowing all that to cloud the beauty of the cross, then I'm glad you're here. Because church, in some respect, is all about this fresh opportunity to thank God for that but God moment. And ask for forgiveness for that. Our sin placed onto Jesus. His life placed into us. No condemnation. His choice to initiate faith. Our response to open the door and enjoy that. See, next week we start unpacking the benefits of becoming a Christian. Nick, man, I I was excited about preaching this. I can't wait for next week. And I even know what the next week after that is, just getting better and better. So I'm enjoying studying it, even if you're not enjoying listening to it. But, so thank you for letting me do that. But come next week, you'll be blown away at what it means to be a Christian. So today we've looked at the why. Why did Jesus die? Because of our sin. He died because God is loving and holy and it will always result in judgment. But God takes that judgment away by grace. His initiation because of the but God in our lives. Man, that's good news. That's just like getting into a hot bath after a good CrossFit workout. Which some of you haven't signed up for, by the way. That was a good segue. Let's pray. Lord, I... It doesn't take much, Lord, for me to be overwhelmed by how much you love me. That, Lord Jesus, that you would choose like that amazing song, a wretch like me, amazing grace, And Lord, I thank you that before the foundation of the world, you chose me to be holy and blameless before you. And Lord, I thank you that there are people in this room, many people across this city, Lord, who can resonate and know that they too have experienced that but God moment. And I thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray as Christians we would never, ever move from the gospel. But Lord, that we would continually and daily be impacted by it. Lord, I pray you would show us how we can gain more from it through community groups or getting involved or just more time with you, whatever it might be. Lord, speak to us. Father, I pray for the Christians who are holding things against other people, Christians who are holding situations, who are just not willing to let go and run back to the forgotten love. Lord, I pray for those wonderful people in the room who are in that journey. Lord, I pray even as we worship and even as we come to you and finish off our service, that Lord, that you would just continue to speak to them. And Lord, I pray that people would come to know you as a result of hearing these words this morning. Precious Jesus. Father, grow this church. Lord, let many people come to this place to hear your good news. Lord, activate your people to share the good news that Jesus Christ is the answer to the freedom they are desperately looking for. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen.